everyone. Badass Women in History is excited to announce a really cool partnership with Andy Hansen, an esthetician local to Duluth, Minnesota. Andy provides vegan, non-toxic, cruelty-free, all-natural beauty services such as waxing, eyelash extensions, and eyebrow tinting. Andy takes clients by appointment only and can be reached at 218-461-7792. Again, that's 218-461-7792. In addition to those services, she has her own small business called Mindful Practice. With Mindful Practice, Andy researches new green beauty products, helps other companies build their internet presence, and does collaborations and trades to reach her goal of bringing awareness to the beauty world. Through Mindful Practice, Andy partners and collaborates with another green beauty specialist and an esthetician named Andrea. Andrea owns the Organic Escape Skin Studio in Carlsbad, California. Together, these women have come up with an online green beauty store and blog where they are constantly researching and trying new brands to have the best possible ingredient list on their cyber, cyber shelves. Shop their online store and read more about the best ways to practice green beauty at theorganicescape.com. Again, that's theorganicescape.com. Karis and I are really happy to promote these amazing women-run small businesses. We've gotten our eyelashes and eyebrows done by Andy and skincare products from the Organic Escape the past few months, and it's all amazing. Self-care is something that is really crucial for self-preservation, and so if your methods of self-care are along the lines of beauty treatments and products, treat yourself. If you book a service with Andy, mention something you learned on the podcast, and you'll receive 10% off your first service with her. In addition, use the promo code MINDFUL to receive 10% off your order from theorganicescape.com. Find more on these businesses and badass women by following their social media accounts at mindfulpractice underscore and at theorganicescape skin studio. So just get ready. Yeah, just get ready. Um, 
So, if you are listening to this and you do not go to UMB this Which, whole... we have listeners on every continent, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is great. So, I'll here, I'll, the world. I'll fill you in. Um, so, last fall, a pro-choice organization on campus kind of started um, getting together, um, which is awesome. We never really had that um, before because, I mean... I feel like it's hard to kind of, like, form organizations like that because everybody who's, like, pro-choice is like, oh, that's just common sense. Like, why do yeah. we need to Yeah, it's not something we need to rally like, for because like an organization. Right, now right. It is legal. So it's easy to um, just kind of get complacent with that. Um, but so then because of this pro-choice choice organization came about that is, like, partnered with NARAL, N-A-R-A-L, which is, like, the pro-choice organization. Um, in the U.S., um, a p- pro-life organization popped up around campus. Just this like spring, out of fucking nowhere. Just yeah, out of out of nowhere, and just became like extremely like prevalent. Like huge posters on like every single posting area on campus. Tabling with tabling like four or five tables. With like four or five tables. So if you don't go to UMD, our tabling area has like ten tables. Mm-hmm. Twelve maybe. And they would take up like the whole back wall um, with tables with um, huge posters. Huge posters with like de- uh, distressing triggers. Yeah, things on them. Just real shitty things. How they would be like, we care about women women but then they would have these like huge posters up that would be like if you're assaulted you should still have your child yeah because it's god's plan <sighs> so <laughs> so yeah that's been happening so we the pro choice org has been trying to um get a greater pushback also Bulldog Students for Life, they're getting an extremely huge pushback from uh, the student body, which is awesome. Um, But, (laughs) so, like, people have, like, ripped down their posters, and the student org has, like, threatened to press charges, even though there's no police report filed, so they can't do anything. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things where they're just all talk. They're, they're very, anybody who, they tried, they, they did an event called Stump a Pro-Lifer, and it was their way of trying to be like, we're open to your opinions, like, we're open to hear what you have to say, Mm -hmm. but if you, if you try to engage with these people in any sort of civil discussion via, you know, social media, or, um, I haven't personally tried in person because Mm -hmm. that's terrifying. Yeah. Um, they immediately fight back really hard. They, like, turn it around on you really, um, hardcore. So they were talking about... So, okay, um... You've had experience with <laughs> So they, um, endorse a crisis pregnancy clinic in Duluth called the Women's Care Center. And the Women's Care Center is, um, purposefully kitty corner from the Women's Health Center in Duluth, which is our abortion clinic. And that does provide other medical services. Mm-hmm. It's an actual clinic with real medical professionals. And it's purposely kitty corner. The Women's Care Center is perfectly purposely kitty corner from the actual clinic. 
and it's called the Women's Care Center versus the Women's Health Center, right? So, so that's purposely deceitful, right? Um, and when people like they purposely market themselves as a clinic, even though there's no medical professionals there. And because there's no medical professionals there, they're allowed to give false medical information about pregnancy and abortion. Um, but, okay, a good thing about this clinic is that if you decide that you are going to carry your child to term, they offer, like, parenting classes and they offer, like, free car seats and all sorts of things like that. So, um, that's good. But the thing is, like... People often go to the women's care center thinking that they can get abortion care, and then they get or like even trapped, just, or even just hear both sides, mm-hmm. both options, all options, and then they feel like they're trapped, and then they're shamed when they're like um, when they decide that they when they realize that they're in the wrong place, they get like shamed and told that they're sinning and blah blah blah. So the thing is like. The Women's Care Center still has good resources um, for people who want to carry their pregnancy to term. And people who go to the Women's Health Center, if they tell them that they want to um, continue their pregnancy, the Women's Health Center actually refers them to the Women's Care Center mm-hmm. um, for those resources. So that's good. Um, but yeah, the Women's Care Center is an anti-choice pro-life organization. Just an FYI to everybody in Duluth who drove by it who has driven by it, because when I first moved to Duluth and I drove by it for the first time, I was like, oh, right on. And then right kitty corner, there's another building for women. And I was like, hell yeah, Yeah. two, like, buildings for women in the same city? Like, wow, amazing. Plot twist, there's actually over 90 crisis pregnancy clinics in Minnesota and only five actual abortion clinics. So. So... They, this Bulldog Students for Life endorses um, the Women's Care Center, and what happens is when we, like, engage with them, um, they, like, twist it back on us. So they're like, well, so you actually don't want um, women to have abortion care. You don't want them, but you also don't want, I'm sorry, you don't want women to have the resources. You only want them to be able to have abortion care. Um, and that's wrong. They Which, like they know that that's not what we're trying yeah, to say. They're they just trying to purposely twist our words. Um, there's people who um, are in the Bulldogs uh, for Choice organization who are PAVSA advocates, um, and they are interns for the Women's Resource and Action Center. And Bulldogs for Life will purposefully t- um, like take that information and be like, oh, well, Pavza and Rack aren't for you if you're pro-life or you want to keep your pregnancy. So it's just really, like, sneaky Which is so and gross. wild to be like, how, like, in what world are you going to go somewhere and they're going to pressure you into not keeping your baby if that's what you want? Nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna say that. And it's just really shitty, like, the people in this organization, like, when they've been called out, because there are a lot of men in the organization, when they've been called out that they should not, um, specifically cis men, when they are called out that they should not be able to have, like, this great of a presence in this movement, and they should not be able to be, like, this vocal, um, they say that it's sexism. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So, as you can see, it's very hard to um, argue with this specific student organization. It is very, very hard. Um, so, what I participated in... Fuck. Well, Karis and I both participated in on <laughs> Thursday. I'm sorry. Um, was a protest picket outside of the Women's Care Center after hours, um, basically calling them out for being a fake clinic. And um, Because mm-hmm. it's not known that, it's not widely known that they don't employ any medical professionals. Mm-hmm. It's not. Um, people, when we were doing this, people, like, in the town were coming up to us or, like, rolling down their windows and asking us, like, wait, there's no doctors here? Mm-hmm. So, it's not well known. Um, you can Google abortion clinic Duluth and the Women's Care Center pops up, even though mm-hmm. it's not an abortion clinic. Um and people in Duluth deserve to know that this is a pro-life organization. Um, so we stood out there outside of their building for an hour with our signs. After and, um, hours. So there was after no... hours, so we could stand in front of their building. Um, and the president for Bulldog Students for Life showed up across the street in front of, um, like, the low-income housing and shelter across the street and like um which i will say though it's not a coincidence that the women's care center is in front of that specific building either but they so the president of bulldog students for life showed up in a hoodie his hood up Mm -hmm. um honestly i was a little creeped out yeah very very creepy and uh, when facebook live the entire time. The entire time on us. For the entire hour. Just talking to people, passing by. Bearing and in mind, we were we were just standing there with signs. We weren't, you know, making a, a scene. <laughs> like, we weren't doing, like, satanic shit. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, but he recorded us for a full hour, hour um, with commentary. Um there's some com- if you do end up watching this video I have it shared on my Facebook or you can go on Bulldog Students for Life on Facebook um, but if you do end up watching the video just like be prepared that it's like not good commentary he doesn't um, he talks to some residents of the apartments and uh, um, like t- basically tricks them into thinking that our picket is stupid um they use the r word multiple times Mm -hmm. and it's the way the way that the commentary is from the people that he's talking to is they are confused because they know that that clinic is not an abortion clinic and that i think that we are protesting abortion Mm -hmm. and he never explains oh no they're not protesting that they're protesting this he never explains it to them mm-hmm. so he purposely misleads the people that he's having commentate on the protest mm-hmm. and and so they don't actually even know what they're they don't know what we're protesting therefore their commentary is skewed skewed yeah, yeah exactly it's it's invalid um and we so the thing is because people in Duluth still think, some people still think that that is an abortion clinic, so people thought that we were like a pro-life organization. So after a while, we like held up signs that were like, uh, we we're pro-choice. pro-choice. Yeah. 
and we had people walk by that were like confused, confused, and, and then they like read our signs, and they're like, "Oh, you're the good, guys. yeah, you're the good guys." So if we ever do that again, we're gonna have more signs that are like we are pro choice because like I had signs that said like expose fake clinics, and people were like, "Well, how is this a fake clinic?" And then mm. you um, have to get into that. Um, but yeah, so crisis pregnancy centers are a really like huge problem in. Um, the country because they're anti-choice and they pose as women's health clinics and then use um, lies and manipulation to dissuade pregnant women from like really getting their full range of options they tell them that um, the abortion pill or like plan b or even birth control can cause cancer um and that they do like so there's a lot of stories of people going undercover to crisis pregnancy centers and they're given like questionnaires that aren't just like medical history questionnaires it's like who is the father what is the circumstance of this pregnancy yeah are your parents supportive what is the father's religion blah 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 yeah so basically they're looking for any way that they can get you to keep your pregnancy um so, like, if you tell them, like, hey, like, um, I, I do not want to keep this pregnancy, I want my options, I want connections to clinics so I can have this procedure, they'll look at your questionnaire and be like, but you said the father is Christian? I'm sure he would be a wonderful father. Mm-hmm. How dare you deny him that opportunity? And just like bullshit um, things like that. And a lot of times when women show or patients um, show up to this these clinics, thinking that they're abortion clinics, they realize like once they're mid sonogram, mm-hmm. and then they're like, I want to leave. Mm-hmm. And then they're, like, immediately shamed and, like, called, like, sinners and all sorts of things. So these pregnancy, these crisis pregnancy clinics are um, very, very bad. And basically a cool thing that's happening in California right now is a Supreme Court case that's basically um, making it so every women's health center in California is gonna need to display like a sticker mm-hmm. that says like we have medical professionals or we do not mm-hmm. so it's more transparent um which I would think that everybody would be fine with like yeah even if you sure. are if, if you're pro-life if you're pro-choice whatever all, all that sticker mm-hmm. says is we employ medical professionals or we do not employ medical professionals. But, like, crisis pregnancy centers are, like, in California are pissed because they're, like, if we don't have this sticker, how are we going to be able to trick people? Well, and, like, another way that I've seen it skewed is that people are, like, what, what was it? Something about, like, well, you're only going to be medically referred to a place with a medical professional. And so now people are like, well, now I have to be referred to an abortion clinic. And it's like, not all clinics that provide abortion only provide that. Right. Often it's they'll like provide they're other real, services. They're real doctors and yeah. nurses, not just volunteers and counselors. Yeah. So the way that it's being skewed is that, like, if you're being referred to a to a woman's health real medical professional employed or employer women's health clinic that are you are going to be only referred to an abortion clinic 
where Which it's like wrong. that's in, that's an incorrect way of state, stating that um, abortion is just you part are, of the services. Yeah, that they you're being referred to a clinic that employs medical professionals mm-hmm. as opposed to a volunteer-run crisis center. They can, and they'll give you like actual, real like ultrasounds and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like because these people at crisis pregnancy centers aren't medical professionals, they don't have to give you accurate ultrasounds and accurate test results. You can pee in a cup and get an ultrasound, and they'll be they'll, they can tell you that you're five months pregnant, and they won't face any legal repercussions because they're not real medical professionals. You could not even be pregnant. I know of people who have gone undercover in the crisis pregnancy clinic in Duluth with like pee from a friend that they knew was pregnant. Mm-hmm. And they got, like, an ultrasound, and then they, like, gave them their pee, and they were told that they were, like, five months pregnant. Just from, like, the pregnancy test and not from the ultrasound? Because, like, just, obviously that person was not, yeah. Right, so it just goes to show, like, how um, misinformed these people at crisis pregnancy centers clearly are, and they know they are. Like, they purposely trick you. And once I was in a Facebook fight with a person on Facebook, on a UMB page, because I flat out said I was like, Bulldog Students for Life endorsed the Women's Care Center that tricks women into carrying their pregnancy full term. Mm -hmm. And this person was like, oh no, people who are trying to kill their babies are being tricked? I was like, oh my god, so you literally admit that you believe in tricking mm-hmm. patients who are vulnerable. Like women's health center or care like the women's care center and crisis pregnancy clinics are notorious for like lighting candles in their office that are like baby powder candles. Yeah, so it smells like babies. Um they say that abortion will cause mental health problems and drug and alcohol abuse and it increases breast cancer and suicide risks. Um ugh. They talk about how abortion can result in heavy bleeding, organ damage, infection, and death, and increased risks of miscarriages later on. And it, the Bulldog Students for Life organization, like, cites studies from on like their the Facebook 80s. page from, like, the 80s on it. And I'm like, you know, the United States has the worst pregnancy and birth care for, the develop- for all of the developed countries, right? So I want to know, like, what are some risks... Um, for just, like, giving birth in the United States. Oh, yeah. Compared to having a procedure, like, abortion mm-hmm. done. Pregnancy is not always, like, a safe bet. Like It's not this magical thing where you're, you'll always be safe. Mm-mm. There's so, so many, so many complications. I mean, my mom, when she was pregnant, had a friend that was pregnant at the same time. She went blind. For her entire pregnancy. Oh my god. Like, just went blind, had the child, and a couple months later she wasn't blind anymore. Like, not every person's body is just magically perfect for producing a child. Yep. My mom's friend gets uh, gestational diabetes. Mm -hmm. It's, like, it sucks that, for especially for women who do, you know, get pregnant and want to carry, um, and they've, like, purposely become pregnant and that's their plan, it, like, it really, really sucks that, you know women's any nobody's body is perfect and nobody is you know we're not all just magically able to carry pregnancy to full term with no complications i actually i really probably couldn't name a person that i know that has had a child that had a 
perfectly fine, no complicated pregnancy. And birth. Yeah. I, like... I was born, I was born almost dead. Like... <laughs> yeah, just, like, I've never, I've never heard of, like, a beautiful, magical pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And I've, like, read so many things about, like, um, like, Bulldog Students for Choice. They, um, like, posted this thing about, like, um, risks of, like, pregnancy. Like, mm-hmm. and it was talking about, like, these women, how one in three, w- um, women have a traumatic birthing experience. Mm-hmm. Um, where, like, doctors... Oh, you, did you say life or choice? Well, like, students for choice. Okay. So, um... Yeah, actually, I read those, and then I was, like, terrified. Yeah, like, they have... Because, like, health professionals sometimes will just, like, take liberties they want on a pregnant woman mm-hmm. to, like, get the baby out, instead of just wait it out. Um, versus, like, midwives are more chill about about mm-hmm. it. Like, there was so many things about, like, um, well, that's... non-consensual, like, um, episiotomies. Oh. Yeah, dude. That's another... Well, that's another thing as well. Like, America has literally the worst... I mean, literally the worst, like, healthcare situation for pregnancy and birthing. Mm-hmm. My mom had two kids in England and one in the U.S., and guess what she preferred? Yeah. Um having a midwife in England that, like, took care of her, mm-hmm. took care of her post-pregnancy, like, you know, helps, helps. Check in on her, make sure she doesn't mm-hmm. have, like, PPD. Yeah. Yeah. I've read things about, like, um, women going, um, for their, like, three-month post-birth, like, checkup mm-hmm. and, like, being open about having PPD and, oh, like, getting the God. police called on them mm-hmm. and, like, institutionalized. I I read that one too. That was yeah. terrifying. So if you want to read more about the poor conditions for um, pregnant women and um, birthing situations, you can look up um, Serena Williams's story. Oh yeah, Serena um, Williams's was really freaky. Um, basically, and it, her situation is like she knew she got blood clots really easily, right? Mm-hmm. And then she was like, I, "These are the symptoms. I know what's going on." And the doctors were like, "No, no, you're fine." Yeah, and she, she like, made demand them. and take her. Uh, blood thinners which is and it's so common more for women of color obviously in the united states to not have adequate pregnancy and birthing care so if you want to learn more about that definitely check out just google serena williams and like childbirth and you'll get some really like interesting articles about that it's really like Mm -hmm. unsettling it's so sad i've read things just about like just people feeling like birth, the birth of their child was supposed to be a magical thing and they felt like they were in the McDonald's drive-thru. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So, obviously not to dissuade anybody who is actively trying to become pregnant, and that is not the plan. But just more to prove that pregnant, it's not black and white. And it's never black and white, but I just, I just want to point out that the Bulldog Students for Life make it seem like it's it is mm-hmm. and you know what it's my last semester senior year I haven't been affiliated with any clubs or anything and so basically it means that I can kind of say whatever the fuck I want <laughs> about this shitty organization mm-hmm. and the shitty people that run it 
um, without being reprimanded from any club directors or advisors. So, yes, that is my our story about why crisis pregnancy centers and the people who support them trick women. All right. Well, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. <laughs> started off with my badass woman for this episode and kind of a funny story of how I chose um this woman was so like um a couple months ago I took like this really sketchy like what badass woman in history are you quiz the one that I sent to you did I take that yeah you did you did um it it was a long 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 time ago I could probably pull it up okay but um just on Facebook it, I think we were texting each other about it because, like, it was, like, one of those really sketchy, like, Facebook quizzes. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was a long, long time ago. And it was, like, such such a <laughs> weird quiz. But, so I, like, took it and um, I got Emma Goldman. And that's who my badass woman for this episode is. Okay. And then... Um, my friend Cheyenne um, gave me this book um, for my graduation gift called Rad Women Worldwide, and I wanted to choose a lady out of here for the episode, and I, like, flipped up into a page, and it was Emma Goldman. Nice. So, that's who I'm gonna chat about for a little bit, um... We haven't talked enough about anarchy lately. So, um, yes. So, Emma Goldman is, um, oh my goodness, she is an anarchist political activist and writer. Um, she was one of the, um, main people responsible for the development of anarchist philosophy in not just the U.S. in the first half of the 20th century, but also in Europe, because, so I'll get to it, but, so she was born, um, in what's now Lithuania, but it was the Russian Empire back then in, um, 1869. She was born to a Jewish family, um, and so... She was born to a Jewish family, and her father was, um, just very, like, um, emotionally abusive and very, like, traditionalist, so she grew up, like, regularly being, um, physically abused and emotionally abused by her father, and she wanted to go to school, but her father would, like, burn her books Um, and they would, like, they arranged marriages for her, but she would refuse. Um, so, she tried to hang out with her older sister the most. And while she was with her older sister, 
growing up as a teenager, she saw, like, a peasant being beaten in, like, the town square for something he didn't do, and so it made her, like, distrust authority, and then she, um, was, uh, sexually assaulted by some Russian officers, and so then she, like, distrusted men after, so, like, a hatred of men and authority, like, so that's kind of the foundation for, um, how she started, uh, everything else, how she influenced uh, the anarchist philosophy. So she moved to New York to join her sister, her older sister, and her husband um, in Rochester, New York in 1885. So um, she was like 16. Um, She was very young. So she's in New York and she um, is doing the immigrant thing back then in the 1800s. So that's, like, 12-hour work days, like, um, working as a seamstress and working, selling overcoats. She worked and earned two and a half dollars for a week by working, what, yeah, 60 hours a week. Um, she, um, there was, uh, so... How can I describe this? Okay, so she asked for a raise. She wasn't given a raise. So then she um, became more, like, engaged with, like, anarchy and all of these things because of the poor conditions um, in her workplace and all of that. So what the main thing that, like, launched um, her interest in anarchy was what's called the Haymarket Affair, which was, so keep in mind, obviously, you know, but, like, during the 1800s, this is specifically the late 1800s, that's when, like, workers are trying to, like, unionize and stuff, Mm because there's really poor conditions. Yeah. Um, so, the Haymarket Affair, do you know what that is? Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's in Chicago, and it's, like, a rally, um, in support of workers who are striking for an eight-hour workday. Oh, Um, yeah, 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 okay, yes, I know what this is. In reaction to, um... The killing of several workers the previous day by the police. So somebody threw a stick of dynamite at the police, and the police rounded up everybody at this rally and hanged them all. Um, and it's supposed to be, like, the one of the main origins and reasons for, like, the International May Day, which is, like, the, day, the workers' holiday, mm-hmm. you know? Um... So, yeah, that's what, like, really made her interested in in anarchy. Um, Here's what the Rad Women Worldwide said about it. So, it says, She had always held strong opinions, but her political awakening came from when she learned about the Haymarket Affair. The news of this injustice changed Emma's life. She said, I had a distinct sensation that something new and wonderful had been born in my soul. A great ideal, a burning faith, a determination. So she, like, started meeting with, like, like-minded activists, and she started, like, planning, like, assassination plots. She um, planned, like, this plot to assassinate um, the manager of the Carnegie Steel Company, mm-hmm. Henry Clay Frick. Um, she planned a lot of, like, plots and riots, um, 
because obviously for like workers' rights and stuff, and she did not trust the government. Um, a factory worker assassinated William McKinley, President William McKinley, in 1901, and he said that like he was inspired by like Goldman's um, speeches. And so Goldman was arrested for, like, conspiracy to assassinate the president. Um, she was in and out of jail a lot mm-hmm. um, for being an activist. And so she ended up, like, forming this magazine called Mother Earth, and which was, like, a lot of, like, anarchist propaganda. And it was, like literature for, like, all the anarchists, like, around the U.S. and stuff. Um, so, that was in 1907, and she toured the country to, like, keep this newsletter going, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so then, she started getting more involved in, um, like, birth control and, like, spreading the word about, like, her, like, mission and, like, about anarchy and stuff. And she ended up partnering with Margaret Sanger, um, which is, like, who founded Planned Parenthood, you know? Oh, nice. Um, and she, so Goldman started, like, smuggling, um, birth control into, um, the country because back then there was this thing called the, um... Comstock law, which pres- prohibited the dissemination of obscene, lewd, or fuck, le- le- lascivious, <laughs> L-A-F-C-I-V-I-O-U-S articles, including information relating to birth control. So she, um, Goldman has, and along with Margaret Singer, they've been arrested multiple times for, um, giving out information about birth control, right? And giving out, like, birth control and lessons on how to use birth control, um, because they were, like, huge feminists and wanted, um, women to have control over their bodies. What a concept. <laughs> so then, she didn't want, so Goldman was fined $100, and she couldn't pay it, so she spent two weeks working in prison workhouse, and she used that as, like, an opportunity to be, to, like, interact with, like, people who have been in prison. So then she started, like, getting her movement, like, growing even further. Amazing. But these people who were locked up who already distrusted authority, you know? Yeah. Um, World War One came around, and she, um, was anti-war, if you couldn't gather. But she would, like tell people to not sign up for the draft. Like, she was anti-draft. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, that is how she eventually got deported, because, um, she was telling people to not, um, mm-hmm. sign up for the draft. Um, so she was deported, and she, like, went back to Russia So then, she initially, like, got involved with, like, the Bolshevik Revolution, and she at first liked it, and then as she got further, further involved, Mm -hmm. she realized that, like, she had been fooled, and then she started, like, being anti, like, Bolshevik Revolution. Okay. So, yeah, very, very interesting, and she, like, so after she's deported, so she's already fucked up and stirred up a bunch of shit in the U.S., right? So So they deport her. This is, like, 1917. No. Mm Mm-hmm. This is 1917. So then she's, like, back in Russia, and she's, like, 
stirring up a bunch of shit there, mm-hmm. and then she's like, I don't really like the shit that's going on in Russia anymore. <laughs> and so then she like went to Spain and like stirred up a bunch of shit there. Super super cool. Um, like with the Spanish Civil War. Um, and she, like, talks about how much she hates, like, Hitler and Mussolini and Stalin. Um, she just, like, hates all of them. And she's just, like, so, like, she's not, like, um, a peaceful person. She's, like, I'm gonna (laughs) kill these Nazis. (laughs) Um, which is dope. So... In 1940, she had a stroke, and she became paralyzed, and she couldn't speak. How old was she? She was old by then, though. Yeah, very old. Um, And then she suffered another stroke a few months later, and then died when she was 70 years old. And then her body was brought back to the United States to bury her. In a German cemetery in Illinois. Wow. Where it's near, like, the graves of people who were killed during the Haymarket Affair. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, she is such a badass, and she talks, I mean, okay, obviously there's too much to talk about in one tiny segment of a podcast, but she talks about anarchism, tactical use of violence, how much she hates capitalism and forced labor and military and prison. And uh, um, she talks a lot about feminism. And today she is um, like called like the mother of like anarcha feminism, mm-hmm. um, which challenges patriarchy as a hierarchy to be resisted alongside state power and class divisions. Um, if you're into atheism, she also has a lot of uh, literature about that. Um, and she also is critical of Zionism, which is good also. Um, yes, so you should definitely look more into her. And I will leave you with a very nice quote from Emma, who basically the context of this quote is like so many of her mentors were telling her that like, if you're going to be pivotal in this anarchy movement, you're never going to... It's going to be all work, and you're never going to be able to ever have any fun. And you're always going to be miserable. And, like, if you're going to be, like, a super prevalent, like, anarchist, it's going to be anarchy, like, all the time. And she was like, it's not just about that. I want freedom, the right to self-expression... And everybody's right to beautiful, radiant things. So she was a huge badass and stone-cold bitch, but also... I love her. So sweet. I love her. So sweet. And you can view all of her mugshots online. Nice. Very nice. Good shit. Yes. Okay, well, mine's a little bit more low-key. That's okay. (laughs) Not all of our ladies need to, like, have assassination plots. (laughs) So mine is, um... Emmy Nother, or um, birth name Amelie Emmy Nother, and she was a German mathematician. Ooh. Ooh. Um, and I think I found her via the Women You Should Know, or Women You Should Know in History Facebook page. I think you like that. Yeah. Um, check that out, that Facebook page. It's really good. So, she was born um, to a Jewish family in 
Germany, and her um, whole family was really, really academic. Her dad was a mathematician. Uh, her brothers had um, degrees and stuff like that. And she um, was born, actually, yesterday was the anniversary of her birth, March 23rd, 1882, HBD. Uh, her first name was Amelie after her mother and paternal grandmother, but she um, ended up using her middle name um, from when she was a kid, so she went by Emmy. Um, Emma and Emmy. Emmy. So sweet. And um, she was nearsighted, and she uh, was pretty much just like a normal child growing up. Um, she took piano lessons and dancing lessons and stuff, and liked to cook and things like that um, when she was a kid. I had a lot of info on her brothers, which I don't care about. <laughs> um, she uh, showed early proficiency in French and English, and in the spring of 1900, she took the exam for teachers of these languages, and she received an overall score of Ser gut, which means very good. Very good. <laughs> very good. Um, her performance qualified her to teach languages at schools preserved for girls, but she chose instead to continue her studies at University of Erlangen. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, and uh, this was not um, normally the path that was chosen. Um, normally people took that um, examination after they completed a certain level of their studies, and if they were, if it was said that they were good enough, they would um, continue on and begin teaching. Uh, but she decided that she wanted to continue on with her education. And my queen. The um, academic senate of the university had declared that allowing mixed sex education would overthrow all academic order. Because having women in academic classrooms really just throws shit off. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was one of only two women students at a university of 986. She was only allowed to audit classes. Um, she wasn't actually allowed to participate fully. <laughs> and it required the permission of individual professors whose lectures she wished to attend. Despite these obstacles, she passed the graduation exam in 1903 on the 14th of July um, in Nuremberg. During the 03-04 winter semester, she studied at the University of Göttingen, uh, attending lectures uh, given by astronomers and mathematicians. And after then, restrictions on women's participation in the university were rescinded. She returned to Erlangen, and she officially re-entered the university on the 24th of October, 1904, and she declared her intention to focus solely on mathematics. And she wrote her dissertation on complete systems of invariance for ternary biquadratic forms, 1907. She was a member of the Computational School of Invariant Researchers and Northers, thesis ended with a list of over 300 explicitly worked out invariants. This all sounds like a major headache to me because I hate math. <laughs> I'm screaming on the inside. <laughs> um, this approach to invariants was later su sur superseded by more abstract and general approach um, pioneered by Hilbert, but it was well received at the time. And she later described her thesis in a number of subsequent similar papers she produced as crap. I love her. My thesis is crap. For the next seven years, 1908 to 1915, she talked at the University of Erlingen's Mathematical Institute without pay. They wouldn't pay her to be a professor. Good for Occasionally substituting for her father when he was too ill to lecture. Oh. In 1910 and 1911, she posted an extension of her thesis from three variables to n variables. Uh, she, Gordon retired in the spring of 1910, but 
continue to teach occasionally with his successor, uh, who left shortly afterward, and Gordon began teaching in 1911 and died in 1912. That was her father. Hmm. Um According to Herman Weil, Fisher was an important influence on Noether in particular, introducing her work uh, to David Hilbert. And then from 1913 to 1916, she published several papers extending and applying Hilbert's methods to mathematical objects such as fields of rational functions and the invariance of finite groups. The phase marks the beginning of her engagement with abstract algebra, um, the field of mathematics to which she would make groundbreaking contributions. Um, Norther and Fisher shared lively enjoyment of mathematics and would often discuss lectures long after they were over. She was known to have sent postcards to Fisher continuing her train of mathematical thoughts. She is all about that math, and I The um, maths. That maths. Um, in spring of 1915, she was invited to return to the University of Gottingen by David Hilbert and Felix Klein. Their effort to uh, recruit her, however, was blocked by the philologists and historians among who the philosophical faculty, women, they insisted, should not become private dozen. God, I hate German. Um, one faculty member posted, protested, what will our soldiers think when they return to the university and required, find that they are required to learn at the feet of a woman? <laughs> uh, Hilbert responded, stating, I do not see that the stacks of Canada is an argument against her admission. After all, we are a university, not a bathhouse. So she left for Gottingen in late April. After two weeks, two weeks later, her mother suddenly died, and she had previously received medical care for an eye condition, but its nature and impact on her death is unknown. At the same time, her father retired and joined the German army to serve in World War One, or her brother joined the German army, not her father. He would be very old by then. Um, and then she returned um, to, to Erlingen for several weeks to care for her family. During her first two years teaching, she did not have an official position and, again, was not paid. Her family paid for her room and board to support her academic work. Her lectures were often advertised under Hilbert's name, and she would provide assistance. Assistance. Um, so, basically, she was doing all the work. And yeah, then, that's how it always is. Yeah. Because but he gets credit. Um, I won't say that just because the only way that she was allowed to lecture was if the lectures were under his name. Mm. Um. So I don't know if he was getting paid for it or not. I just know that's how they had to, had to be able to offer the class. Soon after arriving, she demonstrated her capabilities by proving the theorem now known as Noether's Theorem, which uh, shows that a conservation law is associated with any differential symmetry of a physical system. American physicists Leon M. Letterman and Christopher T. Hill argue in their book symmetry in the beautiful universe that her theorem is certainly one of the most important mathematical theorems ever provided in the guiding of the development of modern physics possibly on par with the Pythagorean theorem. So <laughs> pretty important. Um, when World War I ended, the German Revolution of 1918 to19 brought a significant change in social attitudes including more rights for women. What a thought. In 1919, the university finally allowed her to proceed with her habilitation, which is her eligibility for tenure. Her oral examination was held in late May, and she successfully delivered her lecture in June. Three years later, she received a letter from Otto Bolitz, the Prussian Minister for Science, Art, and Public Education, in which he conferred on her title of, oh my god, uh, an untenured professor with limited internal administrative rights and functions. 
It was an unpaid extraordinary professorship, nor the higher ordinary professorship, which is a civil service position. Um, it recognized the importance of her work. The, provision, the position still provided no salary. She was not paid for her lectures until she was appointed to the special position of something in German a year later. Let... Nope. Not going to try. Those letters don't go together. <laughs> Although her theorem had a profound effect, of, effect upon physics, among mathematicians, she is best remembered for her seminal contribution to abstract algebra. In his introduction to her collected papers, Nathan, Jakes, Nathan Jacobson wrote that the development of abstract algebra, which is the most distinctive innovations of 20th century mathematics, is largely due to her in published papers, in lectures, and in personal influence on her contemporaries. Her groundbreaking work in algebra began in 1920 um, in collaboration with W. Schmeilder. She then published a paper about the theory of ideals in which they defined left and right ideals in a ring. And then she had another landmark paper analyzing ascending chain conditions with regard to mathematical ideals. This is not English to me. Um, um, it's not even, it's not English to me either, dude. It's, she's, she did some really, she is really, really important, but I don't understand math. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that, like, I mean, she's out, probably all math. Yeah. Like, math majors know about her. Yeah. Um, but her work was called, again, revolutionary, and um, she had a lot of um, mathematical terms named after her, including the Nothurian ring and the Nothurian. In 1924, a young Dutch magician, a magician, mathematician arrived and began working with her, and he provided, she provided invaluable methods of abstract conceptualization. He said that her individuality, her originality was absolute beyond comparison. Hmm. Uh, she sometimes allowed her colleagues and students to re receive credits for her ideas, helping them develop their careers at the expense of her own. Do -do -do. Trying to see. Um, she received the Ackerman Tebner Memorial Award for her, the, her contribution to mathematics, which carried a monetary reward of uh, 500 Reichmarks and was seen as a long official overdue recognition of considerable work in the field. Um, but her colleagues expressed frustration that she was not elected to the Academy of Sciences in Göttingen and was never promoted to the position of full professor. She celebrated her 50th birthday in 1932. Uh, in typical mathemat mathematician style, she was um, had an article dedicated to her <laughs> in a magazine where he confirmed her her suspicion that some aspects of non-commutative non algebra are simpler than those of commutative algebra. What? What? I don't, what's non? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I just know that she's really cool, and she passed away in April of 1935 uh, after um, she uh, had a tumor discovered in her pelvis. Oh, little baby. Um. So. Her contributions to mathematics and physics, uh, her work in abstract algebra and topology was influential in mathematics and in physics, and her theor Norther's theorem has raised far-ranging consequences for theoretical physics and dynamical systems. She showed acute 
propensity for abstract thought, which allowed her to approach problems in mathematics in a fresh and original way. Her friend and colleague described her scholarly outputs in three epics. Um, the period of relative dependence, the investigations to group grouped around general theories of ideals and the study of non-commutative algebras, their representations by linear transformations, and their application to, be, to, to the study of commutative number fields and their arithmetics. And she never got married. Math was her, Good. Hus- math was her husband. Good. And there's a lot about math, which I'm not. I'm just, <laughs> no. But yeah. You should have hired, like, a math consultant. <laughs> We should have asked Arby. Oh my goodness. Come on here. Tell um, us what all of it means. Please. But yeah, so that's Emmy Noether. Um, I'd never heard of her before. Again, I'm not a math major. Maybe you have if you are, but... Pretty fun. And it's cool. important to hear about women in STEM. Mm-hmm. I like it. Hell yeah. Alright. Um, so yeah. Um, today's the March for Our Lives, so if you're going, uh, unfortunately I'm not able to go, I'm really upset about it, but Kaylee's going. I'm going and I'm gonna blow away because it's so fucking windy. I'm so excited. But that just goes to show how important this thing is, because I'm getting my lazy ass out of bed <laughs> on a cold, windy day. <laughs> yes, I'm going. Um, yeah, tweet it's us. very important. It is so fucking important. Tweet us if you go, tell us what your experience is, send us a picture of your sign. Very excited to see what happens. I'm very excited. Yeah. Alright. A lot of bad shit's happened in the world since we recorded last, and there might be some more bad shit since we record next, but I just want to let you know that we love you. And appreciate your listenership, and that it's okay to be sad sometimes. Yeah. We love you. Bye. Bye. Badass Woman in History is a production created, produced, and edited by me, Karis Jeffrey, and co-hosted with Kaylee Krogstad. Our cover art is by Madison Worcester, and our theme is Good Old Times by Alex Cohen. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes and Google Play, and check us out on Twitter, at Charismatics and at Straight Out of Flake with an 8. And we'll see you guys next time.